Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, it's Quarantine Episode 4. As this time around, I take a look at uh, Netflix's new sketch show, Eliza, the Eliza Schlesinger sketch show, very straightforward and to the point. The Disney Plus series Short Circuit, which is the sort of companion piece to Pixar's Spark Shorts, or whatever it's called, um, the one... Uh, the one that features like Kit Bull and um, all the all those others. Uh, picks, this is basically Disney Animation's short series that they can, you know, animators can propose short ideas and uh, do animate do various experimental ideas with animation. Anyway, uh, I review a Goofy movie for its 25th anniversary, which happened this week. I cover the Trolls movie again, as well as its sequel, which released to on demand this weekend, Trolls World Tour, the very first of the uh, COVID-delayed movies to be released direct-to-video instead of being delayed in theaters. Um, and then, yeah, I'll get into a discussion on uh, something I noticed uh, this week uh, about the communal experience of watching movies. So let's get into it. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. I'm going to admit there's a big chunk of movies I watched this week that were not for the show. Uh, for those um, uh, who couldn't ca- guess by this point, I'm a pinko, commie, bleeding heart lefty, and... Uh, well, yeah, my my dude, Bernie, dropped out. And um, this goes beyond politics. I only bring it up because, like so many people, when you put a lot of your time, your your energy, your uh, emotional, like, fortitude, backing some, not just somebody, but something, just, just into something, and to see that just crumble before you to see that all go away that breaks your heart and as much as people want to say you know it's just you know it's politics you don't you know you don't don't be a crybaby about it but a lot of people are emotionally invested in politicians just as much as they are in movies or in games or in so many other aspects of life things get things get you emotionally invested in one way or another and to see something you know to see him drop out of the race, even though it's more of a means, you know, it was more strategic, but just to hear the news, it just broke me. And I'm going to admit, uh, I was, had suicidal ideation again, just because I felt that, that all that hope that I felt through him as a candidate, through him, through backing him, I felt that all just disappear and I felt hopeless. And I'm sure so many people, people felt the same way about Warren. And, you know, people all people feel that way about their candidate losing all the time. So I'm not, you know, unique in any regard, but it did hit me hard. So in doing so, I rewatched a bunch of stuff that I wasn't even going to worry about reviewing just for my own comfort. I rewatched Disney's Alice in Wonderland. I rewatched uh, The Fox and the Hound and I rewatched The Secret of Nim. Just for my own benefit, just because those are movies that always hit home with me. I was going to watch Bambi again, probably, uh, but I it was too late at the night after I watched both Alice in Wonderland and Fox and the Hound to watch Bambi, so I just went to bed. And then, you know, I saw uh, Secret of Nim was free on YouTube, and as of right now, still is. So if you're in America and you want to watch The Secret of Nim for free, without ads, no ad breaks even, uh, go watch it on YouTube. And, uh... Yeah, just this, this. I just need to get some comfort movies, and those are some of my comfort movies. I love Alice in Wonderland. I love The Fox and the Hound. Oddly enough, Fox and the Hound and Secret of Nim both have a Don Bluth connection because The Fox and the Hound was one of the last movies that Don Bluth worked on before going his separate way and challenging Disney with his own animations. So yeah, um, it was uh, yeah. I just needed some comfort watching. So those, that's I won't review those. Suffice to say that they're still good. So yeah. Every time, uh, anytime you just need, uh, to get to clear your head and deal with your bad thoughts, just turn on something that makes you happy. And for me, it was these movies. Back to the actual reviews, though. Uh, first up is Netflix's new sketch series, The Eliza Schlesinger Sketch Show. Um, I've been a fan of Eliza Schlesinger's stand-up for a bit. I do think her stand-up specials are good. Um, I did not expect her to do a sketch show, and I gotta say... 
this is one of my least favorite of the sketch shows. I just did not enjoy it at all. I feel like Eliza herself is not the problem. The writing is the weakest I've seen. Like, as much as I didn't enjoy uh, I Think You Should Leave, I understood what it was going for. It, under, it was trying not, it wasn't trying to be like laugh out loud funny. It was trying to be unsettling, like squirmy, of weird funny. And uh, Astronomy Club, one of my favorites, it was just balls to the wall, laugh out loud funny. This feels very tepid. It feels like it's not trying very hard. And yeah, I feel like the comedy sketches in an astronomy club come from people who have worked together to make this, make this comedy work for, you know, these people are experienced working together. Eliza's not very experienced, doesn't have that same chemistry with her cast and with her comedy. It feels very much like a just thrown together sketch show just with dot not I feel it feels like they're just people hired for a gig it's not like the people in astronomy club who for, who are their own comedy troupe making jokes and bouncing off of each other because they've been doing this for months on end if not years on end or um uh, and not to mention the fact that the, the the writing is just not there like one of the overarching big, uh bits is jackass is a jackass for women which did not sit well with me because all it reminded me of was the very, very bad black ass bits from inappropriate comedy. And this series did more than one thing to remind me of inappropriate comedy. Oof. I think it's just, it's not bad in on its premise. Like the ideas behind it aren't bad. The executions of them are just not funny. They're just genuinely not that funny. I may have gotten a couple, there's a Snuggie parody. At one in one episode, because the bit the gimmick here is that uh, like inappropriate comedies gimmick was for those who were thankful enough not to watch inappropriate comedy, and I pronounce it that way because the app and in inappropriate is capitalized. The gimmick there was that you were you swiping between apps on a phone, and the gimmick here is that you're switching between shows and a Netflix style streaming service. The problem with that idea is that it's not really stuck to because as much as you switch out between shows, they begin right from the beginning, they throw in ads as well. But if it's following the Netflix model, which it very clearly is in terms of like the design, there wouldn't be a need because only things like Hulu have ads. So it's trying to throw, it wants to throw in commercial parodies, but if it wanted to do that, it probably should have stuck to like an old TV style format because most streaming services don't have commercials. And the ones that do have them for their own shows, like an HBO model, it'll preview trailers for an upcoming show they want to promote on their service, if at all. And like the only streaming service I can think of that actually has commercials like advertising from other companies is Hulu, but it's, 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 that's a nitpick. I'll admit, but my, but the problems go deeper than that. It feels like it's not very well thought out. It feels like it, they want the idea behind it, but then don't follow through on it. Cause it doesn't really, you don't really leave the show thinking, Oh, the gimmick really worked for it because none of the parodies or the sketches really stick out. Like, other than the weird Stucky parody and the Jackass for Women, which I'll give it this, it's better than Blackass was, but that's not saying much because everything in inappropriate comedy is garbage and written by garbage people and made by garbage people. And uh, yeah, this this is better than that because anything is most things are better than that. But you don't really like I can't recommend people go watch this. Like if people wanted a female-led sketch comedy show, I would sooner send them to Amy Schumer, the Inside Amy Schumer show. I think that was way better written uh, in terms of sketch comedy. It was way better put together. I feel like this show does not have. It doesn't feel like it's Eliza's voice coming out either. Whereas Inside Amy Schumer, you had Amy Schumer kind of formatting the the appeal of the show. It's her voice being presented to you the way Keegan Peel was, uh, uh, Keegan-Michael Key and J Jordan Peel presenting themselves to you. That goes all the way back to Dave Chappelle hosting us. All the sketch shows, most of them, when they have a host, uh, like even going back to the 70s, you felt that host's presence. And 
like this is trying to go for the I think you should leave model where it's there's a main host and there's a main actor coalescing behind the writing and the act and the characters but you don't f- I don't feel like Eliza's comedy comes out through this I feel like it's very watered down sketch comedy like this is feels like really this feels like the kind of stuff you'd see in a really bad season of SNL or a really you know, or like one of those really bad SNL wannabe shows that came out around that time. Oddly enough, not Mad TV because Mad TV was better than SNL. It holds up a lot better, I think. But uh, this, I can't honestly like. I don't recognize like none of the actors really stand out as like, oh, I really enjoyed that person or that character. Uh, and then like all of a sudden at the very end, it becomes super meta about Eliza hosting the show, which has now become its own. It's like now it's all about her. Like all of the, none of this show feels like it was worth watching by the end. And that's nothing against Eliza Schlesinger, who herself is a fine comedian. I just feel like this show was not very well done. And I feel like they, if they if she wanted to do a sketch show, she sort of had um, a better idea of what to present through the sketch show, like Astronomy Club did, or I think you should leave did. And if this is what, oh, you know, like writing and fine going through drafts and fine tuning these bits, if this is what it led to, then I feel like it just needed to go back. You know, I'd like send it back to the minors to, you know, to use a baseball reference and try to try to try it again next year. You know, I just feel like it wasn't ready for prime time. But uh, moving onward uh, to the short circuit uh, series of shorts on Disney Plus. Um, I'm going to look it up because I forget. It sparks something. Let me pull up Disney Plus. Spark Shorts uh, is what it was called. I For some reason, I couldn't remember. I knew it was Sparks in the name. Spark was in the name. I just couldn't remember what the collection was called. So Short Circuit is the collection for the Disney Walt Disney Animation Studios animators. Spark Shorts is from the people over at Pixar. And I feel like um, the Spark Shorts are maybe overall better because I feel like um, Pixar is... Uh, because of, oh, there's fewer of them to be bad. And I think the ones they sent put out are are great overall. Whereas the Short Circuit ones can be hit or miss. The first one is a big old thing about, yo, damn kids need to put down your phone. It's not terrible, but it's... um. Definitely has that tinge to it, and I'm always skeptical of when anybody tries to tell a story like that. It's better than you would better than the premise suggests, but because it's all about the idea of um, interdimensional uh, uh, puddle jumping, and it's cool and it's very visually stimulating. But it's the way it introduced the way the animator introduced it felt very you know oh damn kids in your phones how how come you don't how come you miss the world around you blah 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 you know the same crap we've been hearing ever since they made the damn phones if you didn't want us to if you didn't want that didn't like us using the phones you shouldn't have made the phones anyway um but beyond that one the other they all are fairly good and that one's not bad either it's just the way it introduced me left a bad taste in my mouth but uh they experiment with a lot of different 2d and 3d styles um there's one about an, an earth exchange student on an alien planet there's one about leprechaun a leprechaun mafia stealing hair there's one about there's one in a very uh like old school comic book style with like the 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 little dots I forget what those were called it's like that kind of coloring uh there's one about um you know selling a house after uh a, a lifetime has been lived in it by you know a daughter and her mom um like there's one about uh lightning aliens there's one about uh graffiti art in in l a uh, there's a really good one about Chinese watercolor uh, uh, through uh, martial that's depicted uh, depicts martial arts um, through this watercolor style. It's wonderful. Uh, there's one about a little girl um, uh, fighting off an evil barber called Hair Jitsu. Whereas one where death, there where the Grim Reaper is trying to get. Um, Somebody for his for uh to like win in the war for the for being a good reaper and he's chasing the dude down in like a cirque not not the cirque um what's it called um the Tour de France in like a, a, a bicycle race and he's chasing down the dude on a bicycle to try and get him uh there's one base there's one that's like set in the universe and it's about stars there's one about a baby elephant that be, and um. 
how a young boy helps reunite with his family. And one of my favorites was one called Fetch, which is about a child playing with this monster, with this creature out in the woods. And I think that one should be its own movie. It's fantastic. But yeah, all of these shorts are are, are excellent. If you have Disney Plus, check out both Short Circuit and uh, Spark Shorts. They're both. They're allowed to be more experimental. They're allowed to be more interesting, and they're and they're all they're all excellent shorts. Even if the one did leave a bad taste in my mouth just because of the introduction. Next up, we've got the 25th anniversary of a Goofy movie. A Goofy movie turned 25 years old. It released in theaters in April on April. It was Tuesday of last week, so that would be the seventh. April 7th, 1995, a Goofy movie released in theaters. And I rewatched it um, for uh, for the anniversary. And it holds up surprisingly well. Like, the animation is fantastic. Uh, the whole storyline, the character arcs between uh, Max being scared of becoming like his dad. And then Goofy being scared that Max will turn out to be this, be this criminal. And he'll lose sight of everything. And he'll lose his son. And yeah, the soundtrack is phenomenal. The The love story between Roxanne and Max is still, to this day, one of the best loves. Even though it's really short and not very well developed, what we get is so powerful that even now when DuckTales confirmed that Roxanne and Max were still together uh, after 25 years, everyone's still like, oh, thank God. Oh, they're still together. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, please, yes. Uh, oddly enough, there's a lot of Blossom in this movie. Jenna Van Oy, uh plays basically her character from Blossom. And then you've got uh, a fellow Blossom alum, Joey Lawrence, as a bit role. You've got uh, Ju- Julie uh, Brown in this, comedian Julie Brown. Um, Polly Shore is in an uncredited role as, uh, the best, as their best friend, um, Bobby. Uh, Robert Zimmeruski, speaking of great voice cast actors, Wallace Shawn. This was the last um, we heard of Pat Buttram. He was the he was the ho- he was the the host. Of, yeah, he was the guy in, who ran uh, um, Lester's Possum Park uh, and introduced the. There, one of the possums is named Mordecai. For God's sake. It's just like weird things that you forget the first time around. I noticed if you follow me on Twitter, um, I did a munch along and I posted things like how then one in, uh, on the open road, there's a guy, there's an Easter egg of a guy who come, who starts singing out of a trunk of the car, but he's got cement shoes on and he's all tied up and he's like, da, 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 da. <laughs> it's like, Oh my God, there's a duping about to be given, you know, thrown to the fishes. <laughs> oh God. And then, um, yeah, but then, like, as time goes on, you also, as the story goes on, you also see how Goofy and Pete are about, you know, are, interact with each other and how Goofy wants to go with his gut, but Pete tells him to be more authoritative and be more of a, of a, of a this, this authority figure. And all that does is get Goofy into further trouble with Max. And he's only, he and Max get along when they, they respect each other mutually. And yeah. It's a real, and of course the the soundtrack slaps. That soundtrack is dynamite, and I will hear no no word to the contrary. Because if you don't think the Goofy movie soundtrack is one of the best movie soundtracks in in the history of cinema, then you are wrong, and I will not stand for your your blasphemy. That soundtrack still slaps. Damn it! Every major song is great in it. Even the Lester's Possum Park Country Bears parody song is fantastic. So yeah, um, Goofy Movie, highly recommend, still after 25 years, I can't imagine anybody not liking it. You have to have really bad taste to not like a Goofy Movie, I'll say that. Moving onward, we uh, I rewatched Trolls, um, I liked it more this time around, I was very lukewarm on it the first time, probably because I was very curmudgeonly, like, stupid jukebox musical soundtrack, everybody's singing karaoke, it's all candy colored and glittery i hate it now this time this time around i'm like no this is fun this is cute i like it it's very well great great um production design top notch and yeah it's almost like self-parody at 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 the at points in the beginning uh not to mention the voice cast is phenomenal christine baranski as the villain is great uh christopher vince plass and zoe deschanel 
are great. Um, and Kendrick is great. Justin Timberlake is solid. Uh, Ron Funches, you know, little, little worlds for like Ron Funches and uh, oddly, you know, Christina Aguilera is in there. You, you might blinking, you miss her, but um, really solid movie on rewatch. I think I think it's better suited for like little littler kids. If you're into little kids or you're into that sort of uh, pastel neon color, like like sh- cotton candy meets pixie sticks level sugar rush that's this is up your this is more your speed i thought it's not i'm not gonna rewatch it anytime soon but it i enjoyed it more on the rewatch plus i think it's really interesting that it goes from like this rescue mission to suddenly it's a cinderella story <laughs> and yeah the overall theme of like finding happiness within yourself is a re- you know is really it's a solid movie uh i gotta say though personally speaking the sequel is better and that's not just because the McElroys are in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, as much as I love the McElboys, uh, they're not the reason I love Wor- Trolls World Tour. Uh, Trolls Trolls World Tour, say that five times fast, uh, is ups the ante in terms of production design. All Because now we've got multiple genres of trolls. Uh, you'll throw in stories of historical revisionism and commentary on race relations, ultimately. While it's under the guise of uh, musical gatekeeping, where like ah everything but country sucks, you know every all pop music sucks, all this music sucks, and um, as much as there's that, it's also because so many of the genres come from cu- different come from these different cultures, and one of the main ones we deal with is the funk culture. There is, I will admit, a bad trope uh, used again where uh, the black characters for lack of a better term the one that features the Ron Funches troll who fe- who turns out came from a different uh, came from the funk trolls but he ended up in pop land and he was raised as a pop troll uh, but it turns out that uh, their king and queen played by Mary J. Blige and uh, George Clinton perfect casting uh, and their son, played by a rapper I'm not familiar with, um, Alex- I think it's Alexander Pock. Let me pull him up. No, no. Period. P. A. A. K. Maybe it wasn't Alexander. Hold on. Anderson Pac. Uh, I'm not familiar with him. Uh, he's on the soundtrack for like Pacific Rim Uprising and The Edge of Seventeen, apparently. Um, he did apparently songs for Spies in Disguise as well. So he, he's all over the place. I just haven't heard him. Uh, I'll have to look into him. But he plays Ron Funches' uh, character's brother. And he's a hip-hop troll in the land of funk trolls. Because, you know, the black music all kind of coalesces together. Like I said, it's not very, it's not a very good. You can tell Whitey kind of wrote this one. But the trope I'm talking about is the more enlightened black trolls. Specifically George Clinton, Mary J. Blige, and Anderson Pac. Uh, Anderson Pac actually raps the the song that enlightens Poppy, uh, Anna Kendrick's character, to how, to the fact that Pop trolls were essentially the Asgardians in Thor Ragnarok in that they took all the music for themselves and conquered the music world by sampling and uncrediting, not crediting artists. It was a commentary on how pop music will swallow the other genres to its liking and then never give credit where it's due. It's a solid, it's a solid, you know, analogy in that regard for the trolls to the pop world. But by having the funk trolls, who are all played by black um, performers, and have them enlighten the white, the white uh, portrayed pop trolls, played by uh, a singer who does, who did, who has been criticized for this, uh, what's it called? Um, this is a term uh, when you um, appropriating. He, for you know, Justin Timberlake has been accused of appropriating a lot of black music for his own benefit, and um, you know when he's and he and Anna Kendrick are being uh, essentially 
awoken to the truth by the black characters. That's a trope. That's, you know, the ma the magical Negro is kind of the trope that it's built around and based out of. I'm assuming they didn't mean it to be that way, but at the same point, you, you can't unsee it. You can't unsee it when it's there. And as soon as I was done watching the movie, I was like, oh yeah, it was cool that they kind of did this whole thing of like historical revisionism, because that's not the version of the story that Poppy heard. And it turns out that she hasn't been, been told the truth. And it's a commentary on like musical gatekeeping. And then, oh my God, oh my God, it's the black folk have to teach Whitey what's what. Oh, damn it. <laughs> damn it, you guys. You were so close. Oh, uh, anyway. Um, like, if, if they had avoided that by having Barb, the rock troll, reveal this information to her, I think they could have easily avoided that trope. But now it's there and there's nothing you can do about it. It's there. Yeah. But um, I will say that Anderson Pock's song in the movie is one of the better songs on the soundtrack. Uh, his hip, he's, he's, a, he's a phenomenal artist. I'm really going to have to check out more of his stuff. But, um, yeah, once again, the voice cast is great. Rachel Bloom is phenomenal as Barb. Ozzy Osbourne is her dad, who they really did dirty by making him this invalid in a wheelchair. <laughs> Rock and roll. He barely can even do the devil horns. And it's so, they really did Ozzy dirty for that little bit of a role. Um, Sam Rockwell plays this one character who's phenomenal. I won't reveal what happens, but basically his name is Hickory, and he's met by, um, Poppy and Branch over in the Country Troll section. Leader of the Country Trolls, played by Kelly Clarkson, oddly enough. Uh, and then, um, oh god, who was it that, uh, that played, um, the head of the Techno Trolls? The Techno Trolls are also, I really enjoyed because they're like these mermaid trolls, these fish trolls. Really, once again, production design, character design, phenomenal. Absolutely amazing. Um... Try to find the name of uh, Troll X, as in Skrillex, uh, played by Anthony Ramos. Uh, oh my God, that's Anthony Ramos, dude from A Star Is Born. And uh, what was he just in? Uh, he was just in something. Not Godzilla. I mean, he's in Godzilla: King of the Monsters. So he was in something else. Uh, Honestly, he's gonna be in the, in the Heights. He's 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 Usnavi in the upcoming In the Heights movie. That's it. Apparently, he's the king of the techno trolls. Okay. Um, uh, also, Charlene Yee is in this once again. Uh, the these uh, these uh, <laughs> character these these this great cast coming into this movie uh, is and yeah, it's really phenomenal. Uh, yeah, it's I, I I highly recommend. I enjoyed it more than the first movie, even with those bits that bug me. You know what? You know the woke. The woke explaining to white, yo, not woke explaining. That's more of like whitey trying to explain to minority groups. But um, basically, you know, the the having the, the magical Negroes having to enlighten the um, the white cast. You can't escape it. It's there. It's there. Even though they, as much as it's cool to have it explained to us by George Clinton of Parliament Funkadelic and Mary J. Blige. It's still there. You can't I can't avoid it. That's still part of the thing. So it is what it is. But I do think, you know, the, the overall story is better. The voice cast is phenomenal. The production design and animation is even better. Although um, the uh, the animation is a lot jittery, a lot more jittery. It's like it's like everyone took a whole line of coke before animating this one, as opposed to the last one was a lot smoother. But yeah, uh. I enjoyed Trolls World Tour a lot more than the first one, um, and I probably will check it out again. <laughs> so yeah, if you haven't yet, go check out Trolls World Tour at least at least once. Rent it for like the twenty bucks uh, for now, or maybe or some somewhere down the line, watch it on like Netflix or something. I highly recommend at some point you check it out at least once. So that covers all the releases for this week, which uh, leads us into the break. And after the break, I'm going to be talking about the communal experience at the movies. Into every generation, a slayer is born. One girl in all the world, a chosen one. And alongside her are the Watchers. We are the Watchers. 
Once More with Feeling is a 20th anniversary Buffy fancast where we gather and watch episodes of Buffy, discuss them, and release it every Tuesday. Grr. Arg. led to this discussion point was a clip that was going around Twitter. Um, if you were on Twitter uh, this past week, you may have noticed it. It is the audio re- audience reaction to the Avengers Endgame fight. The climactic fight of the end- in Endgame, starting with uh, On Your Left, leading up to I Am Iron Man. Uh, and... Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it's a really, really moving, like, thing that went around Twitter. Like the idea that listening to the re-listening to the audience's reaction as this this penultimate moment to the entire franchise was le- you know leading into the fu- leading into this climactic moment, and you know just this weight behind it, and you're like, oh my god, holy hell, this is happening. Uh, the, the audience reactions, and you see that a lot with, and it's not just Avengers isn't the first one to bring this up. Like, there's so many bits of like the communal experience when it comes to watching movies. Seeing the audience reaction to things really sets the tone for what what to think about that movie. I remember one of my my first videos, um, well, the one of my remaining videos that's still over on Daily Motion when I tried to be a nostalgia critic wannabe was um, in my 20 year my least favorite movies of 2012 I played an audience reaction to the ending of um of the, oh what was it uh what's the name of that piece of crap uh um uh, god damn it. it was one of those stupid exorcism movies uh let me see Da, 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 2012, 2012. Um, something with Devil in it, I think. I'm not seeing it. Shoot. Um, God, let me pull up the my list of movies. Safely, I kept that list in my notes. Um, da, 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 da. That's 2013. Where? Where is? Hold on. Here we go. 2012. Uh, Tim and Eric. Chernobyl Diaries. Devil Inside. The Devil Inside is still one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I remember in the review when I covered it for my least favorite movies of 2012, it... Uh, was I showed an audience reaction to the ending to to further um, exemplify my feelings towards it because the audience had the same reaction I did, which was "You sons of bitches, you really did that to us. Screw you." Um, it, and I think the part of that is, and my mom and I were talking about this, uh, not related to movies, but the fact that people are struggling with with following the quarantine and feeling the need to go out and be around other people there's an inherent need to socialize and a lot for people it's physically socialized they have to be around other people and i mean it's proven that a lot of social isolation will dry will do serious mental harm to people and humans, you know, no matter what, human beings are a very social animal. We desire that social connectivity in one way or another. And that's part of, and that's part, you know, that was further exemplified with this endgame audience reaction, which people have been sharing and loving because it's a reminder of that communal experience we all share when, when one of these touchstones in cinema comes about, good or bad, you know. 
when you're like, this goes all the way back to the beginning of the blockbusters, which is you need to be there with an audience. Some movies you have to see with that audience. They help define cultural experiences. For like the one year after it came out, everyone was super into Avatar because we all saw it together as this communal experience. Titanic, Star Wars, Jaws, E.T., so many of these cultural touchstones were experienced together as a, as, a, as, a, as a culture. And that's part of the reason why horror is so, I think, successful. Because part of the reason to watch a horror movie in a theater is to share in the audience fright. The scare, the, you know, the start, whether it's the, the pop scares startling you or the genuine uneasiness of a really good horror movie... Whatever it is, that horror watching experience comes with a communal, comes as like a communal experience. It's something unique, you're all experiencing together in being scared of or startled by this movie. So I think I, I may have mentioned that in my um, airing of grievances for the horror genre, but I think that still holds true. The idea that part of the reason horror movie moves people and people keep coming back even if the movies aren't good is because that initial experience of watching a horror movie together with an audience and you're all especially like if you're all in the same beats and they all startle you at the same time or they all sca really scare you at the same time or you're you know that's a communal experience that you're all sharing together and i think what we're missing a lot in this quarantine is that communal experience you know, we're seeing movies at home. For those of us who are together as, like, families or something, we can watch them together. We can watch them through, like, um, uh, the Netflix uh, Chrome extension or through, you know, Rabbit, if that's still a thing. But um, there's still, you know, we can still share and watching the movies together, but it's not quite the same. You know, it's not the same as if you're um, sitting together in the same massive room with an audience of hundreds um, dozens to hundreds enjoying the same movie. It's not, you know, there's nothing quite like that. And as social animals, that's why I stand by the notion that theaters are not going to go away once this quarantine is up. People are not just going to, people may stay home for a bit. They may be uneasy to go right back just because they're still concerned about the spread of any remnants of the virus. But when all is said and done, we are going to go back to the movies be it for the next Star Wars, the next Marvel, um, the next big uh, awards push, the next big horror movie, whatever the big thing that's coming out is that we all want to see together, we're going to go back to the movies to see that. Because when push comes to shove, we love being around each other. We may not like each other. We may not like each other. We may not be able to stand one another at times. But when we're all together in this same dark room staring at a 90 foot screen and we're all experiencing the same thing together it fills that social need in us you know the same thing that people get from like going to church not religiously speaking not spiritually speaking but going to church or seeing a concert you know this this thing that we're experiencing together as a people and that's not going to go away anytime soon. That's why uh, as much as people say like the death of theaters, what it comes down to is that the only thing that will kill theaters is capitalism. Capitalism is going to be the end of everything as we know it because of its own greed and, uh, and, un and unfettered destruct destructive nature. Theaters are going to be around one way or another because there's no way that people are going to give... There's too many people who need that communal experience when watching some movies. Not every movie needs it, obviously. Like, some, a lot of indie stuff, a lot of, um, like, families. If families can watch the thing at home, they, that would be preferable. Some things you need to be with an audience to see. You, you don't want to watch Jaws or Star Wars. When you watch Jaws or Star Wars by itself, it's like, that's great. When you see these, when you watch Avengers, here's the thing. By itself, Avengers Endgame, I don't really care much for. It's not one of my favorite of the Avengers movies. I respect it more than I like it. When you're in that dark room together with those hundreds of people, hundred people or so, watching that, watching the portals open, 
and you hear uh and you hear Falcon say on your left and then the what going from the shot of cap facing off against Thanos's entire army alone to uh being backed up by the entirety of the MCU up to that point is powerful and you to hear that audience reaction again to it happening is moving it's this it's very you know just it sends shivers down i have shivers going down my spine and goosebumps just thinking about just like the audience just losing their minds to everybody is back and ready to take on thanos and it's going to be the battle of the century and possibly the battle of millennium and all time and you experienced it together with an audience and this isn't true. Once again, I'm an introvert. Um, a lot of people, there are, you know, there are people who just have, don't have a lot of the energy to handle a lot of communal experiences like that. That being said, there's all, even if it's with just the people that you like being around or just, you know, it doesn't have to be people in general, just being there for that experience still does things for you, even if you're, it's not something you seek out all the time. You may not want to seek it out, as an introvert, but it come, but to experience, you still need to experience it at, you know, at, at points as some, you know, you can't devoid yourself of that experience because it needs to be there for you to feel human. And yeah, I mean, not every, and I'm on the spectrum too. So, I mean, like this didn't used to be something I concerned myself with, but it's in becoming, you know, it's becoming learning, you know, thinking about this, after the thing, you know, like, I would never think about, like, audience reactions to stuff unless it served a purpose. Like, with explaining why a movie is good or bad. But in re-listening to audience reactions to uh, Endgame, it kind of reasserted the fact that theaters are not going to go anywhere anytime soon. They may stop showing, like, the smaller stuff. They may cut down the number of screens they have. People are always going to be wanting to see the next big release, blockbuster or culturally defining moment in cinema, they want to experience that with other people around. You know, like seeing Black Panther in a group of, you know, uh, of a, with a black audience, or I'm assuming going to see um, the upcoming In the Heights with a, a Latinx audience. Um, that's going to be, you know, seeing that, seeing that audience just enjoy what's coming what's coming off of that screen and feeling that love and just unbridled joy is it, it, it's intoxicating <laughs> i'm not gonna lie it's intoxicating almost but uh it, it's a part of the reason why i don't buy into the fact that theaters are not going to go away anytime soon streaming killed rental movie rentals that's for sure because they're the same they're the same experience one is physically disc-based one is digitally based but it's the same market streaming is not going to beat out theaters until you can stream movies on a 90-foot screen with a 200 member audience when that happens then i can imagine streaming taking over theaters but i can't imagine anybody get, getting that experience anywhere but a theater be it a locally owned independently operated theater or a mass, you know, my massively corporate run uh, megaplex of theaters. Whatever the case, that experience, sitting there in that dark room with your popcorn, with your candy, with whatever you've, with sometimes your alcohol and your and your nachos and your steak, and you know, depending on how high how end the theater is, being in that space together, experiencing that movie, be it good movie. I mean, I'm not talking. I'm just talking about the good movies. We haven't even talked about the bad movies. Imagine being in that room at the end of the Disaster Artist, witnessing the witnessing that movie for the first time and just losing your mind at how bad it is. Communal experiences go both ways. Watching walking out of the theater with like 50 people saying, "Oh my god, that was the worst thing I've ever seen." That equally fills that that social need to be like communally experiencing this terrible movie together. It's it's like being you know it's like we've been in the we've been in the stuff and nom, <laughs> not as serious as that, but like we've been through this pile of of crap together and come out the other side and we've survived it. 
I'm I'm hyperbolizing obviously, but just that same experience goes that you know that that same experience goes the same way. That idea that we experience, you know, we've we've made it through this thing, whether it's good or bad, and come out the other side, and we're different because of it. So, yeah, theaters are not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Don't I I I, I would not bet on that. I wouldn't like invest a, a ton in theaters because it's still because we still need to. There's still the problems of Hollywood overcharging for ticket prices and taking more of the box office away from theaters, which causes them to raise the price of concessions in order to break even. And then the fact that people can barely afford to go to the theater at all, especially now that there's a thir- there's 13 million Americans who are unemployed. So once the coronavirus does go down, where's their money going to go to go out to the movies? Yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a, it's going to be a while to recover, and we may lose some indie theaters in the prob in the process. Which is why you should support your indie theaters however you can in, the, in these times. Make sure that the, that they don't go away once this is but before this is all over. But suffice to say that um, the theaters are not going to go anywhere. Once this dies down, once people can have the money to go out again, they are going to go out to the theaters and enjoy. The, that's why so many of those. That's why that's why so many of the big stuff that we saw was in the 90s because we had money to spend in going to the theaters now. Not everybody has that money now. And uh, not to make things too, you know, not to make things too political again, but when the whole reason, the, the, this is why trickle-down economics is not feasible because uh, we're seeing now that, th- that we've been seeing for for the last decade how, like, people are killing X industry because they aren't going out and spending money. What money is there to spend? The people aren't spending money because there is no money to spend. The only people with the money are at the top and it's becoming too top heavy and it's going to topple over if it doesn't fill out the base again. You need the solid base and apparently in finance, it's only in finances and um, and like macroeconomics that they think, no, if we put it all at the top, it'll be fine. <laughs> you know, just like with the pyramids. If we, point, if we build the pyramid with the pointy end at the bottom... And the big stuff, big part at the top, it'll totally balance itself out. That totally can't go wrong. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, the communal experience of theaters, that's going to be coming back. It's going to take a while for us to get there. We need the money to build up to go out to theaters. And we're going to need to be sure that we're safe to go out to theaters again. But it's not going to go away. There's no way that we're going to lose that experience yet. Because we, we, that's part of who we are as a people. We love seeing these moments happen together on the big screen. You know, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether it doesn't matter that we, because everybody has that moment, that moment in your life where a move, where like seeing that moment with that audience just affected you the way nothing else really could. And we're not going to, that's not going to go away anytime soon because people are going to still want that feeling and it's going to come back one way or another. So yeah, uh, that covers the discussion portion. Once again, no box office to speak of. I don't even have up-to-date uh, movie rental stuff. Uh, but I'll take a look at uh, what's coming out on video this next this next week. Uh, coming up this week on video, we've got Bad Boys for Life. Uh, Fantasy Island, fun. The Rhythm Section and Underwater. And then we've got something called Butt Boy by Epic Pictures. Butt Boy by Chip uh, uh, has Chip Gudgel, a bored IT engineer, as an awakening after a routine prostate exam. I think I've heard about this. People were saying that this is some really weird indie comedy. Uh, soon grows into a dangerous addiction as he becomes responsible for a missing child, eventually buries his desires in Alcoholics Anonymous and tries to move on with his life. Becomes a sponsor for a sober detective, relapses, missing child at Chip's office. Russell begins to suspect Chip's addiction may not be alcohol. Okay, that that's right. This is the comedy about sticking things up your butt. I'm going to have to keep my eye out for this one because this is going to be coming out somewhere. I'll have to keep my eye out for that one because I don't want to pass that one up. But boy, I have to remember that. 
So yeah, that's what's going to be coming out this week, and uh, I think that about covers all the major stuff for this episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com, and if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. You can also check out all of our other fine programming. We've got um, Dungeons and Dragon Types coming out every two weeks. We've got uh, the new episode of... Um, uh, living in the stacks. I forgot my own show for there for a second. Uh, that's going to be coming out later this month. Uh, I'm going to be hosting that one about uh, one of my friend's books. Uh, they, we've also got all Donna stuff at the Snarkast, once more with Feeling, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, uh, The Family Business. And if you yourself are a podcaster and would love to join our fledgling little family, you can send all of your, all, send us your information at gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you uh, as soon as we hear from you. Uh, you can also check us out, uh, Popcorn Junkie, on your various uh, podcast providers. We're on Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. And if we're not on your podcast provider, you can uh, let me know, and I can try to add us to that. And you can also uh, share us with your friends. You know, make sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. And be sure to uh, interact with us on social media. We're at facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. Uh, Twitter at cornjunkiepod. Instagram at popcornjunkiepodcast. Been very dead there. Uh, I'm not going to worry about I've never been good at Instagram. I'm going to admit that. I'm just kind of sitting on the on the account for all intents and purposes. Um, you can also find us find us on pop, uh, Letterboxd at cornjunkiepod. And I am going to try and catch up on Stardust. We're at Stardust on at uh, Popcorn Junkie. And then I think that's about it. You can also support us on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Popcorn Junkie. If you have like, at least, you know, at least a dollar a month to spare, uh, you can help support the show and help provide content because not only will you be um, have access to the 10 episodes of Munch Long and Make a Better Movie, you can suggest new episodes for that that'll be exclusive to patrons. And you can also suggest uh, stuff for me to review on the main feed. And you can also suggest, uh, you know, just other stuff for the show. Um, I want to help improve the show in whatever way possible. And the best way to do that is to support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. Otherwise, you can just send, you know, send send an email with your thoughts or contact me on social media and let me know um, your thoughts on what I talked about. And uh, I'll get back to you uh, in whatever medium you come back at me with. So... I would love to do an audience feedback segment, so but the only way to get that is uh, to get uh, an audience to fe- give me feedback. So uh, if you don't feel shy, I would love to hear back from you, and I'd love to share your thoughts as well. So that's it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and yeah, you know it's this this quarantine isn't getting any easier, but we'll make it through uh, to the other side. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. <laughs>